It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we are on the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July 30th, 2015. Thank you for joining us tonight. It is good to be back. We had problems last week. Our video f- player on our website was completely inoperable, and so no one could see us, and we had to cancel the program after about 30 minutes of frantic wrestling with it. And so we apologize for those who missed us last week. The first time that's ever happened to us, we're back up tonight, and we're glad to be with you. We're glad that you're here, and we'll look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. My father, Greg Gwynn, is out of town tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn, and my father's place, Monty Overton, is Setting in his seat tonight. Monty, welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be back again. Good to be back with you and look forward to talking with you tonight. Behind the controls tonight, Dan's here. and Dan's got a an understudy with him tonight. Kyle is here to, to learn the ropes, and so we're glad that these gentlemen are with us. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com if you're listening to us live tonight watching the video feed. Below the video feed is the chat room where you can sign in with other listeners. And voice your comments there. We'll look forward to filling those from you in the chat room tonight if you're watching us live. If you're listening to us in the podcast, we welcome you. We're glad that you're listening. And we'll welcome your comments at any time, uh, no matter when you may listen to this program, how long it may be after the fact. We would welcome your comments, questions at collegeview.com. Before we get into the program, we will remind you that you can find video of our community Bible study on our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. Uh, go to the home page, and you'll see a link to the Community Bible Study where you can watch the video of uh, that material that was presented, and we'll work on podcasting that as well. If you're subscribed to the Sermon Podcast feed, we'll throw that audio in that feed as well. Monty, you were there both nights. It was a good uh, attendance, a good subject, and some rather shocking material that was presented, and our listeners will definitely want to check that out. It, it was a very good study, and the, the speaker that we had to do that for us was very knowledgeable on the subject, presented his information very well. And like you said, there was a lot of people there. We had a lot of visitors there from places other than the College View congregation, and I was really impressed with that. And so I felt like it was just a really profitable time to spend learning about uh, the religion of Islam and the, and those that practice it and, and how we should relate to that. All right. If you haven't checked it out already, check it out at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. Follow the link there to the Community Bible Study, and you can watch the video on YouTube or sign up for the sermon podcast. Uh, put it in your podcast receiver, and uh, you can uh, view the audio or catch the audio there. Kevin in the chat room says our volume is a little low there, Dan, so you might want to check that out. Um, and uh, for tonight, we want to carry on a program that was really begun two weeks ago. And, uh, oh, somebody has no volume and no video, so we may need to check in that in the chat room, Dan, with that. Uh, last week, we were intending to follow up with a, a topic we had the week prior. Uh, we discussed... Uh, the church in Nashville, the Harpeth Hills Church, who added instruments to their worship, and we reviewed a sermon in which they discussed why they were doing that. We wanted to talk tonight about what the Bible says about instrumental music, and we want to we wanted to look at the scriptures, what they teach on this subject, because we think it is very important. Uh, what's wrong with instrumental music is our topic tonight. The first question that was sent two weeks ago it was sent out again today for those who are on our update list. What do we know about when and how instrumental music began being used in churches? What is wrong with using instrumental music in worship today? And how would you respond to these arguments often used to justify instrumental music in worship? The arguments go, well, the Bible doesn't say not to, so it's okay. They used instruments in the Old Testament. Number three, you use instruments in your home, so it's okay to use them in the church. Number four, the instrument is merely an aid to our singing. 
Number five, I like it, and so it's okay. And number six, the Greek word for sing originally meant to sing with instrumental accompaniment. We're going to talk about those on the program tonight. We'll look forward to hearing from you. Before we get started, we should uh, establish the fact that we're against instrumental music used in worship, not because we don't like it, not because, well, we were talking before the program, not because none of us in the room can play an instrument. I mean, that, that is a true statement, but that's beyond, that's not relevant here. Uh, we, uh, we like instrumental music, uh, and if instrumental music was authorized uh, in the scriptures, we would be all for it. We just don't find authority for it in the scriptures. We'll talk about why, but we want to get into that. But we just, we, we believe that we don't have authority in the scriptures, and therefore we want to do everything like God said to do it. And uh, if we can't find authority for it in the New Testament, we're not going to do it. Uh, and that's our approach, and we think that's what God wants, because after all, our worship is not about me and what I want. It's not about pleasing me. It's about pleasing God, and I want my worship to be acceptable and pleasing to him. And the only way I know to do that is by doing on worshiping him in the way that he's told me to worship him in the New Testament. You know, if we had authority, if we could find authority in the New Testament for Christians to be using instrumental worship and instruments in their worship, I would also see that as being a necessity to be using that in our worship. And I'd do my very best to see to it that we had it available and used it at every worship service that we've got. If I had to go out and buy whatever instrument was necessary myself, because I would feel an obligation if I had the authority for it, that would include an obligation to do it. So, we don't have that authority, and because we don't have that authority, we just can't do it. Okay. Look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. Let us know your thoughts. We're looking at what the Scriptures teach on instrumental music because we want our worship to be pleasing to God. Now, we mentioned this. Uh, we set this out in our update list of what is wrong with instrumental music. To that update email today, we got an email from Jack who said, Please remove me from this group. He goes on and says, I have never seen a bigger bunch of legalists. Maybe you should ask yourself what the Bible has to say concerning the use of Twitter, Facebook, and live chat rooms. He's ridiculing us because we believe we shouldn't use instrumental music, but he says you use these other social media, uh, and so you're being hypocritical. He condemns us for being legalistic, and, you know, I find it interesting. I don't read the word legalistic anywhere in the Bible. You would think, as many times as that you, that term is used to describe people, that you ought to be able to find the word at least once. I don't find it anywhere in the New Testament. But if Jack wants to condemn us for saying that we have to do what God said, uh, I'm willing to take that condemnation. I'm willing to accept that. If he wants to level that condemnation and say you're trying to do everything that God says to do, and you're demanding that other people follow God's word and do what he has, he has said, I'm willing to take the term legalistic if he wants to apply it like that. Now, a lot of times, people will go, go ahead, and, Monty, did you have, you were trying to catch my paper there. No, I was you trying have, to catch your paper, no. but I've got a comment in that regard, too. Yeah. Uh, is we may not read the term legalistic in the Bible, because for one thing, if we was really going to go back to the original, the New Testament was in Greek, and legalistic is an English term. But we can see that concept, I believe, in the Bible, because the Pharisees was condemned quite often uh, for their legal the legalism that they tried to do, but not condemned for being a legalist because Jesus said the Pharisees' attitude was bad, but to do what they said because they were right. And they were very legalistic, to use that term, at, about their approach to worship because Jesus talked about how they tithe their mint and their, right. their, their household herbs even. Yep. They took a 10% of Matthew that. Matthew 23, verse 23. And some people will go to that <laughs> and say, well, you're being like them because you're worried about the small little details. So this instrumental music or no instrumental music in your worship, that's just a, a nitpicky detail. And Jesus got onto the Pharisees and scribes in verse 23 of Matthew 23. Woe, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. And so they say, see here, you're getting down in these little nitpicky details. You're being just like the Pharisees and the scribes. You need to just cut it out. As Jack said, you're the biggest bunch of legalists I've ever seen. But really what Jesus was saying is you're being nitpicky or legalistic about this little stuff, but you left out being nitpicky and legalistic about the other stuff. He's saying you're not being consistent 
in your life, and you need to be looking at the details of everything, not just these things. He goes on in verse 23 and concludes, these you ought to have done, that being tithe, the mint and anise, the common, mm-hmm. the, the nitpicky things. He says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus says, you need to do what God said. He never said, don't be worried about the details. Don't be picky. He said, do what God said, plain and simple, and don't, but make sure you are consistent that you're not just applying the rules to others, but you're do, taking doing them yourselves. You're not being hypocritical, and uh, and you're doing what God has said. Over in Luke chapter six, verse forty-six, Jesus gave the familiar statement in Luke chapter six, verse forty-six, and we believe it's what we're trying to do here when our discussion of whether or not we should be using instruments in our worship. Luke chapter six, verse forty-six. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Jesus said, "You need to be doing what I said. It's not legalistic." In the, term, in the way that Jack wants to use the term, to demand that we do what Jesus said. And over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, a similar instruction is given us in, Luke, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, where we read, uh, Now, uh, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. We've got to keep God's commandments in order to be pleasing to him. There's no way around it. And so tonight we want to look at what God's commanded in worship. Is it legalistic? Is it something that uh, we ought to be ashamed of? Absolutely not. We believe it's what God has demanded. God demands that we do what he said. And he says if we love him, that we will do what he says. So this this is not a great burden to us to try to be understanding exactly what God says and then to do exactly what God says. We love God, and we want to be pleasing to him, so we try to do what he says. And God has always been a God of details. We go back in the Old Testament, and we read uh, the instruction that God gave to Moses on various aspects of how he expected things to be done, in particular the tabernacle, and just goes on and on, Monty, about uh, the instructions on how the tabernacle should be built. Uh, not not recommended reading if you're somewhat drowsy because the details go on and on. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason why we have those details, because it establishes the fact that God is c- concerned with the details. When he gives us instructions, he expects us to follow the instructions in the way that he's given them. And he told Moses about all these details he's given him about the construction of the tabernacle and all the appliances and fixtures and everything that was to be done that. He said, be careful to do it according to the pattern that he was shown on the mountain. So it wasn't, I've shown you what I want you to do, and I've told you what I want you to do. Now go and do it however you want to, or do it mostly like I told you. But he said, be careful, not not haphazard, but careful to follow that pattern. So God was very interested and cared very much that they'd done it exactly like he told them to do it. That that instruction you uh, referenced there is repeated, uh, referred back to uh, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, in the instruction to Moses, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. God expected Moses to follow the pattern that was given. We believe it's the same for us today, that we need to follow the pattern, the instructions that God has given us. You can't just make up your mind and do it any way that you please. You've got to follow the pattern that God has given us in the Bible. Now, that's where we are. That's our understanding. That's why we oppose the use of instrumental music, because we just can't find anywhere in the New Testament where it was authorized, where it was instructed, where we can see people in the first century who are using instrumental music uh, and or where we see any implication that that was the practice or the instruction uh, for people back then. And so without that, we uh, we believe that it is unauthorized. We can go into some references, and we ask uh, in our questions, uh, where do we what do we know about where and when uh, instrumental music began to be used in the churches? Ramona responded, in pagan worship, instrumental music and debauchery were often linked as this, uh, fourth century manuscripts suggest in blowing on the pipes, they puff out their cheeks, they lead obscene songs, they raise a great din with the clapping of a uh, type of foot percussion, under the influence of which a multitude of other lascivious souls abandon themselves to bizarre movements of the body. That's from the story of Christian music, page 28. She goes on and says, in about the 10th or 12th century, Western Christians began to use the organ in the litur- liturgy, the organ had been used in processions and possibly as a call to worship centuries earlier, but it seems to have made its way only slowly into the actual liturgy. By the 18th century, organ music was widely accepted in the Roman Catholic West, though it never caught on. 
the East Orthodox East. And so she references maybe the 10th or 12th century. We've got some other quotes as well that bring it in a little bit earlier than that, but do show that it was not present in the first century. Uh, in uh, a book called Instrumental Music in the Warship, um, E. Dickinson is quoted by Mr. Kerfees and says, We know that instruments performed an important function in the Hebrew temple service and in the ceremonies of the Greeks. This would have been in the Old Testament prior to mm-hmm. the first century. At this point, however, a break was made with all previous practice, and although the lyre and flute were sometimes employed by the Greek converts, as a general rule, the use of instruments in worship were condemned. Many of the fathers, speaking of religious song, made no mention of instruments. Others, like Clement of Alexandria and St. Christendom, refer to them only to denounce them. And so we can see throughout history uh, a, a close examination of what was the historical practice. We see that in the first century church, that instruments were not present. Another quote uh, from A History of the Christian Church says, Singing formed an essential part of the Christian worship, but it was in unison and without musical accompaniment. And we see throughout history, we can see this, and we can establish the fact that that worship in the f- churches in the first century was without instruments, and it continued that way. In a book, Why I Left, um, F.A. Decker writes, Pope Vitalian is related to have introduced organs into some of the churches in southern Europe about A.D. 670, but only the trustworthy account, but the only trustworthy account is that one sent as a present by the Greek Emperor Constantine uh, was introduced in 775, and so six to seven centuries after uh, the the church was established, do we see instruments making their way in to the church? That's in the Catholic Church. We've got quotes from founders of. Uh, Protestant denominations who denounced their use, John Calvin mm-hmm. and John Wesley are, are two of those. Martin Luther, they denounced the use of instruments. It might become, that might come as a surprise to some who are listening tonight that these Protestant leaders denounced the use of instruments. We see in Baptist churches that Baptist churches did not initially use the instruments in worship. Well, they were roundly condemned and soundly condemned in the Baptist churches, I believe, well into the 1800s. All right. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. But we can see from history, we haven't gotten to the scriptures yet, we can see from history that an early church did not use instrumental music. We believe that they did not use it because it was not authorized, because God hadn't told them to use it. And if God hasn't told us to use it, we believe we shouldn't. We'll talk about that when we get back from the break, but we want your comments. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We'll get a break and get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the Virtual Bible Study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. A recently published survey confirms what we've known for a long time. It reported that people tend to learn and remember things a lot better if they have the opportunity to both hear and see what is being taught. For instance, someone who just hears something after three hours will recall 70% of what he heard. After three days, only 10% will be recalled. A person who has shown something after three hours will remember 72% of what he saw. After three days, only 20% of what he saw. But when telling and showing is combined, after three hours, a person will remember 85% of what he learned, and after three days, he will recall 65% of what was taught. The immediate application of this, of course, involves our teaching efforts in classes and public lessons. Teachers, preachers, and others who want to get their point across to an audience need to realize the importance of good visual aids. It is obvious that people understand things better when these are used. And even more importantly, they tend to retain what they have learned to a far higher degree. These statistics also illustrate something about how Christians should live. If you will allow us to make this parallel, we are God's visual aids. It is one thing to tell people how they ought to live, but it's another thing to show them. And that's our job. Jesus said, quote, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, verse 16. Christian, what kind of visual aid are you? Are you doing a good job of showing others how God wants them to live? 
Don't forget that people tend to remember what they hear and see. You can tell them about the Lord and his will, but what are they seeing in you? What lessons are you teaching? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Back on the program tonight, talking about instrumental music and what we believe the Bible says about it. We'll look forward to your comments in the chat room. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address if you want to sign in there. Are we being legalistic, as Jack has claimed, or... Is it right to demand that we have authority for all that we do? Because it seems to us that it is the right approach because, Monty, I want God to be pleased with my worship. I want to know that I'm doing what God has told me to do, that he's pleased with that worship. Not that I'm after some type of what makes me happy, what pleases me, but I want to do what God has said. Well, it gets down to what is the object of our worship. Uh, If we're doing it the way I like it, then I must be the one being worshipped. If we're doing worshiping God, then we need to do it the way he liked it. And God being all-powerful, he is sufficiently able to tell us what he wants us to do. If he wanted us to play instruments, then he would have instructed us to do that. Uh, the people that refer to, well, they did it in the Old Testament, God instructed them to do it under the Jewish system of worship. Yeah. But I'm not a Jew, and I'm not worshiping in the Jewish system of worship. I'm a Christian and trying to follow Christ. Let us know your thoughts. Look forward to hearing from you tonight. We talked earlier before the break about the fact that Protestant leaders were against the use of instruments. John Calvin, the founder of the Presbyterian Church, said this of musical instruments. He says, Musical instruments in the celebration of praises of God would be no more suitable than the burning of incense, the lighting of lamps, and the restoration of other shadows of the law. Men who are fond of outward pomp may delight in such uh, noise, uh, but the simplicity which God recommends to us by the apostles is far more pleasing. That's John Calvin. Many people would say, well, the Presbyterian Church, they've always used instruments. John Calvin was against it. Uh, Martin Luther, the founder of the Lutheran Church. Again, those in the Lutheran Church would say there's nothing wrong with instruments. We've always had them. It's okay. Who would think otherwise? Well, Martin Luther thought otherwise. He says an organ in the worship of God is an ensign of Baal. Pretty uh, hard to misunderstand where he stood on the issue of musical instruments. He he was reasonably clear. He was reasonably clear. Did not mince words. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, says, I have no objection to instruments of music in our chapels, provided they are neither seen nor heard. Now, again, the Methodists would say, we've always had instruments. No problem. What are you guys being legalistic about? Why are you concerned? John Wesley was concerned. John Wesley would have been a legalist, if you want to use that term. John Wesley said they were not allowed. And then Charles Spurgeon, an English Baptist, Baptist minister, said, I'd as soon pray to God with machinery as to sing to God with machinery. Again, the Baptists would say, We've always had instruments of music. What's the big deal? Why are you being so nitpicky? Charles Spurgeon was nitpicky. Yeah, and- I was I was discussing that with a bat person of a Baptist faith one time, and we was discussing that, and he was just firmly convinced they used instruments of music all the way back into the first century, even though there's no evidence to suggest that. And I say, he said, well, I'd be willing to bet on it. I said, well, you are betting on it. You're betting your soul. Well, that's true. <laughs> That's true. And uh, in a book, The Baptist Church in the Lower Mississippi Valley, so this is on American turf here on U.S. soil, so we're talking within the last few hundred years, the, the author here says, for years the Baptists fought the introduction of instrumental music into their churches. Installation of the organ brought serious difficulty in many churches. Now, this is just a historical as, uh, perspective. It doesn't prove anything, but it does show that instrumental music in worship is a new invention. It's new in the Catholic Church, relatively speaking, much newer uh, than the first century. The Catholic Church is newer than the first century, but so is the instrumental music. It is new in the so-called Protestant denominations. We've seen from the leaders of many Protestant movements, they were opposed to instrumental music and worship. And then uh, we see in the churches of Christ that it is a new invention as well. And we reference this church in Nashville, the the um, Harpeth Hills Church. They are not the first in Nashville to introduce uh, instruments of music in their worship. The Otter Creek Church did earlier this year as well, provided a big stir. 
But in the Nashville area, a gentleman by the name of David Lipscomb was very pro- prominent, and uh, he uh, started a school in Nashville that bears his name today, the Lipscomb University there. These churches uh, that are in the Nashville area would be very closely associated with uh, that university. We would not be, but they would be. But its founder had this to say about instrumental music. He says, it seems there cannot be a doubt, but that the use of instrumental music in connection with the worship of God, whether used as a part of the worship or as an attractive accompaniment, is unauthorized by God and violates the oft-repeated prohibition to add nothing to, take nothing from, the commandments of the Lord. It destroys the difference between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy, counts the blood of the Son of God unclean, and tramples underfoot the authority of the Son of God. They have not been authorized by God or sanctified with the blood of his Son. A Christian loyal and true to the Lord Jesus Christ cannot use them, nor in any way uh, countenance the setting aside the order of God by adding to or taking from his appointments, even in the smallest matters, as washing of hands. While forbearance and love should be exercised in showing sinfulness of their use, when the church determines to introduce a service not required by God, he who believes it wrong is compelled to refuse in any way to countenance or affiliate with the wrong. To do so is sin uh, against is to sin against God and his own conscience, and to encourage by example others to violate their conscience and the law of God. It is to lower the standard of regard for the authority of God. David Lipskin said that he was very clear that that it is unauthorized. And as a result, it's not acceptable to add instruments uh, to worship. We've seen churches, though, throughout time begin to soften their stand on it. The preacher that we mentioned uh, before, uh, the preacher for a couple of weeks ago from the the uh, the uh, Harpeth Hills Church, said that they had not preached a sermon there against instrumental music in 30 years. Uh, we're seeing the move throughout the religious world, towards the use of instruments. It is done so without the authority of God. Now, we've got to get to the New Testament, what the New Testament teaches on that, on the subject, uh, Monty. But it's clear from the New Testament that instruments are not referenced uh, in our worship to God. We'll look forward to your thoughts in the chat room. Kevin uh, makes an interesting argument. He says, I like the comment that if we, have, if we had authority, then we would likely see a requirement obligation for its use. Uh, Kevin says, it seems that if we were to use instruments of worship and use instruments of music and worship, that somewhere in the New Testament we'd find some instruction that tells you to do it. All we need is one place. All we need is one place. All we need is one place. And yet we do not find that one place. I mean, that one place, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, is where we find when Christians observe the Lord's Supper, that it was on the first day of the week. It's only mentioned in there one place, one but, we, but we go by that authority, that command, that example, and that's when we do it because it's mentioned one. That's all I require is one place that we can find the authority for it. Well, let's look at what we see about music in the New Testament, and there is music throughout the New Testament. The New Testament is replete with examples of music being used in worship to God, but it is not instrumental music. It is vocal music. It is a cappella music. Notice Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. Prior to the crucifixion, when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olive. In Acts chapter 16, verses, verse 25, Paul and Silas in jail. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. Romans chapter 15, verse 9. As it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and I will sing to thy name. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Again, we're seeing a common pattern here. There is music throughout the New Testament, but everywhere we read about music, it is vocal music, singing. No reference at all. No indication anywhere that instruments were used. Again, we're looking for an instruction from God that says, I want that. I want you to be using instruments in worship to me. You know, I can about guarantee you in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, when Paul and Silas were doing this singing here, that they did not have an instrumental music because they were in jail, uh, they were in chains, and their hands, they were bound, and their feet were in stocks. 
I doubt if their jailers included some instrumental music in their torture. All right, we can go on in the New Testament. We read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, more references to music, but notice the kind of music we find in Ephesians 5, 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing again. Mm-hmm. No reference to instruments. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There's another reference to music, but it's singing. No reference to instruments. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. In the midst of the church, we're going to sing praises to God. We're not going to sing and play. We're not going to just play. We're going to sing. And finally, James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you merry? Let him sing psalms. We see throughout the New Testament the instructions to use music, and there are plenty, are to use vocal music to sing. Not to sing and play, not to just play, but to sing. Now that's the instructions from God. That's what God has said, and we're going to do what he said. You know, some people would make the argument that that singing is including, as we've discussed, that it includes uh, instrumental music. But we know that we're all supposed to be singing. These commands is for all of us to be singing. Well, if that includes instrumental music, then we're all supposed to be playing, too. Okay. I mean, it, That's it, right. if it's for all of us, then we, we've all got to be doing all of it. And I guess 5206 in the chat room has made a similar comment to you, Monty. Mm-hmm. Now, we ask, what's wrong with using instrumental music in, the Bible, in worship today? To that question, Ramona responded with two words, not biblical. And that's our that's our contention today tonight is that it is not biblical. If you differ with that, if you say yes, it's biblical, it's fine, it's biblical, then show, show us, us the passage. We just can't find it. Now again, we're not against instrumental music personally. It's not just that we ha- we don't like music, instrumental music. We do, but we don't find any reference to using it in worship to God, and so we don't because we want God to be pleased with our worship because He demands that we. Pay attention to the particulars. It matters to him. We can't just worship in any way that we please. And we want your thoughts on that tonight. We're going to get a break, and when we get back, we'll take your thoughts. You know, that uh, church that we referenced that was the one prior uh, to the uh, Harpeth Hills Church, the Otter Creek Church, when they came out with their announcement to use instruments of music, there were some surprising comments. We've got those. We'll talk about those. So they posted. There was a discussion about this on social media, and the arguments in defense of the use of instrument are as outrageous, if not more, than the ones we heard two weeks ago from the preacher at the Harpeth Hills Church in defending this. We're not going to find scriptural defense. We're going to find other defenses that will shock you. We'll talk about them on the other side of the break. What about that? Do you believe the Bible teaches that we should use instruments of music in worship? We say that we can't find any example of that in the New Testament. We can't find any instruction to do it, and therefore we don't have authority for you. Do you you think that's a right interpretation? Do you think it's wrong? We'd like to hear from you, 877-381-4567, or questions at collegeview.com. Are we just being picky, or does it matter that we do things in the way that God has said? We want to hear your thoughts on the program tonight. We'll take a break and get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the Virtual Bible Study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. A recently published survey confirms what we've known for a long time. It reported that people tend to learn and remember things a lot better if they have the opportunity to both hear and see what is being taught. For instance, someone who just hears something after three hours. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. I'm Dan Quillen, a member of the College of Church of Christ, with some thoughts about making plans. Have you made any different plans for your spiritual life and for your service for God. We spend time prioritizing personal lives and setting goals in our careers, but do we think in those terms about the most important thing, our soul? Ask yourself these questions. What am I planning to do for God today? In the coming week, what good thoughts will I accomplish for Him? At this time next year, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? In five years from now, how will I have changed, improved, and grown 
in my work for God? Ten years from today, how will my family be? How will I have helped them grow spiritually? Twenty years down the road, how will I be doing? As I approach death, what will have been the most important things in my life? Where will I be in eternity? Here's some quotes worth pondering. One certain way to receive encouragement, hope, and companionship is to give it. Our highest goal for our children should be that they faithfully serve the Lord and positively reflect the gospel to the world around them. When parental attention is absent in the home, kids will be more vulnerable to the outside influences of the world. Man, wish I'd said that. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight, reminding this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you can find out what we believe, what we practice, find out a little bit more about our worship there, which does not include instruments of music. We would like you to come and find out what we're all about. Why don't you visit with us, find out more about our meeting times and location at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And we will remind you, check out that sermon podcast or check out the link on our homepage to the audio and video of the recent community Bible study on the religion of Islam and the Christian's response to it. I think you'll find that informative and instructive. We encourage you to check it out there, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking about instrumental music on the program tonight and what's wrong with it. And uh, we see throughout the scriptures, the New Testament, that music is instructed, but it's not instrumental. It's vocal every time we read about it in the New Testament. Uh, for how we should be worshiping God in the New Testament church, it is with vocal music. And therefore we say, since we don't read any instructions about instrumental music, that it is not authorized. Now, we referenced that church in Nashville that earlier this year, the Otter Creek Church, that brought instrumental music into their worship. And there was a discussion on social media about that, whether it was right or what it was, whether it was wrong. And typically, you might expect that there would be some reference to Scripture to defend such a practice. But no such reference to Scripture was given on the social media or very little of it was, but instead uh, statements like this were made about worshiping God, and these are shocking. One person said, God has bigger fish to fry than worrying about a piano in worship. God has bigger fish to fry. God's not worried about the details. Might tell that to Nadab and Abihu, who offered that strange fire. Some might say God has bigger fish to fry than worrying about where you got the fire. But he he worried about where they got the fire, Nadab and Abihu in the Old Testament there in Deuteronomy, uh, where they offered strange fire and he struck them dead. Uh, And someone say, well, that's just uh, nitpicky. It doesn't matter how you worship, uh, that God doesn't care. Don't worry about that. But God struck them dead. Uh, there and um, and so we see it does matter. Um, and uh, notice the other comments. One person said, "Look at all the pro- uh, poverty and injustice in the world. These are the things that matter, not whether we worship with an instrument. Well, certainly poverty and injustice in the world do matter, but so does whether or not we worship with an instrument." One person said, "God wants us to worship Him. He doesn't care how we do it." What do you think about that, Monty? God just wants us to worship him. He doesn't care how we do it. And that's that echoes the sentiment that the preacher from the Harpeth Hills Church mentioned in his sermon. He says, if your heart and your head is in the right place, then whether you use an instrument or you don't, it doesn't matter. Just worship God however you want. Well, I don't find any example, Old Testament, New Testament, anywhere that would suggest that. But I do find that... From the beginning of time, basically, God cared how he was worshipped because Cain was condemned for not worshipping according to the instructions that he was given. And Abel was praised, because, and the book of Hebrews referred to as a man of faith because he did follow those there, instructions. At the very beginning. At the beginning of time. Then as we get over into the Hebrew system, the, the law of Moses that was given, as you mentioned, there was Nadab and Abihu, and they offered strange fire against... To the Lord, and God had the fire consume them. And people that make the reason day, well, it doesn't say not to. Well, that's what God said when He when He condemned Nadab and Abihu. He said they offered strange fire about which He had not commanded them. Yeah, my reference earlier was an error. It's Leviticus chapter ten, not Deuteronomy chapter ten. 
Okay. Uh, but Leviticus chapter 10 is where they offered that strange fire. Mm-hmm. You might start there reading verse 1 and go down to about verse 6, I believe, where we read about uh, the uh, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, who just plain out said, it doesn't matter how we worship God. We're going to do it any way that we please. And we know that fire came from the Lord and devoured them. And uh, so there is instruction here we see an example of the fact that god cares about the details you know in Levit- Can you just worship him anywhere you want to he doesn't care how you do it as long as he as you worship him no it does matter well god says in, in leviticus chapter 10 and verse 3 in reference to what nadab and Abihu had done uh, in verse 1 he talks about they offered strange fire or profane fire which he had not commanded them and in verse 3 he says by those who come near me i must be regarded as holy and before all the people i must be glorified if we're doing something different than what God has told us to do, then we're not regarding him as holy and we're not glorifying okay, him. That's an important point because he's the along with the fact that they disobeyed him in their instructions, it God took it personally. Yes. It reflected upon God. How so? I, I'm worshiping God. Isn't that going to glorify him? No, it doesn't glorify God unless you worship him the way he said. And he says, if you're not obeying me, then... You're profaning me. Mm-hmm. You're not worshiping me. You're profaning me if you're not doing it the way that I said. And that's you're, an you're insulting God by yeah. not doing what he yeah. tells you to now, do. God's not all that important. Do it the way you want to do it. Don't worry about God. No, God cares how you do it. And so anyhow, we go from the beginning, the first worship we see with Cain and Abel. We see under the mosaical system, God was looking at the details and expected strict obedience. And then if we go over to the New Testament, all the way to the end at the book of Revelations, he condemns people and says, if you... Do it differently," he said. "If you don't keep the word he's taken that is given in this book, he's taking your part out of the book of life. And if you do something to add to it, then he's going to add all those curses and plagues to you that was mentioned in that. And that was some pretty stiff stuff. Oh, I don't need none of that. Oh, but you're just being picky. No, we're not being picky. We're saying God has told us how He wants to worship us to worship Him. He's given us instructions. He says, "Sing." And Every- specifically said, "Don't do different." Don't do different. Do what I said. And he said to sing. And so to bring in musical instruments is to change what God has said and to not obey him the way that he said to do it. Here's some other comments from social media. I like to hear the sound of instruments. They liven up the worship. You know, there's lots of things that would liven up the worship. We could bring in rattlesnakes, and that would liven up the worship. Well, for a minute, and I'd be gone. (laughs) We could bring in the flying trapeze. We could bring in the chainsaw jugglers. How about the bull riding? They are doing that. Now, again, if you're just going to say if it livens up the worship, it's okay, and if you like it, it's okay, then the bull riding, you can't say anything about that. And the fireworks displays. And the fireworks displays. We've got to have that as well. All right, and it sounds outrageous. And it sounds outrageous, but there's churches in our Middle Tennessee area that do those things. The fireworks and the bull riding riding. up in Columbus, Ohio. They're doing. No, there's one in Nashville that does that. They're doing bull riding in Nashville now, too. See, it's catching on. It's a popular Because I guess a lot of people like it, and, well... I've seen a lot of bull riding, and it does. It is a lively activity. Yeah. Uh, and so there you go. Uh, here's another one. Uh, another person from social media says, I'm glad to see Churches of Christ moving into the 21st century. We need to blend with modern society. Wow. When you start blending with modern society, where do you stop that blending? The New Testament teaches that we're supposed to be distinct and yeah. different individuals and not conforming ourselves to the world. One person said we need to appeal to the younger generation. Instrumental music is one way we can do it. Again, no reference to scriptural authorities. No one says, well, this verse right here says I can do it. This verse right here says God wants it. We don't see that. We see in the New Testament everywhere instrumental music is worship is mentioned for first century Christians and for us today. It is vocal music without the accompaniment of instruments. What are your thoughts on that tonight? We want to hear you. We want to look, uh, when we get back from this last break, about some arguments that are used to justify it. There are several arguments that are used to justify it. We'll take your thoughts. The first one we're going to get to, and perhaps the most important one to answer, is the Bible doesn't say not to. What about that? The Bible doesn't say not to use instrumental music. And you know what? I'm going to have to agree with that argument. The Bible doesn't say not to. Can't read it can't read anywhere in the New Testament where, where it says, do not use the piano. Do not use instruments of music. I can't find that. 
Does that mean it's justified? Does that mean it's okay? Can we act then because God didn't say not to? We'll take that uh, discussion up on the other side of the break. We'll go to the top of the hour and take your comments right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Most major studies estimate the worldwide Muslim population at roughly 1.25 billion people. That's about one-fifth or 20% of the world's population. In comparison, Christianity is the largest religion in the world with about 33% of the world's population. According to most reports, Islam is the fastest-growing religion in the world. For example, in Europe, according to United Nations statistics, between 1989 and 1998, the Islamic population grew by more than 100%. At the current rate of worldwide growth, it is estimated that Islam's population by the year 2025 will be 1.9 billion people. That information is via Britannica Book of the Year. The Word of God says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back on the program tonight talking about instrumental music, and we've got time for your comments as we discuss what the Bible says about it. Again, we're not against instruments in general, but we are against them in worship to God because God has said what he wants. We believe that his exemption of not mentioning instruments in worship means that it's not authorized. But some will come back and say, well, you know, God didn't say not to play instruments, therefore it's okay. Monty, your thoughts on that? Well, like we mentioned a minute ago, God didn't say not to offer that strange fire to Nadab and Abihu, but he was very clear by the punishment that he inflicted on them for doing it, that by not authorizing it, by not mentioning it, that that excluded it. And so the same principle stands. He didn't tell us not to use instrumental music, but he said sing. And so by the authority he gave us to sing, that excludes everything else. When God tells what he wants, then he demands that we do that, and we are not at liberty to add. The old reference to Noah and the ark, Mm -hmm. God said what he wanted. He specified gopher wood. He did not leave the door open for Noah to trim the doors in pine or lay oak on the floors. God said use gopher wood, and that's what he expected. Nadab and Abihu, it was specified what they should do, how that, where they should get their fire. They did not follow that. They weren't at liberty because God didn't say, don't get fire from this other place. No, they were to offer the fire uh, from what God had said. Over in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 7, where it's talking about the difference between the Levitical priesthood and Jesus' priesthood, In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 14, For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses, notice this, of which tribe Moses said, those of Judah can't be priests, those of Benjamin can't be priests, those of Simeon can't, no. He said the children of Levi can be priests. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 14. For it is evident our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. God and Moses were silent on priest being from Judah. Therefore, it was not acceptable for Christ to be a priest under the Old Testament system. That system had to be abolished before Christ could be the priest because Moses had simply not mentioned 
that priest could come from the tribe of Judah. There's another interesting passage in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You'll remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that God is wanting to build a temple. I mean, sorry, David is wanting to build a temple for God. God doesn't want David to build that temple. Now, in the instruction he gives to Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 5, he says, Go tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Would you build me a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Notice verse 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 7. God says, Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God says, go tell David, I never said I wanted a house of cedar. Why are you taking it upon yourself to build me one now? I never said, build me a house of cedar. Now, David was, in by all accounts, we'd have to say David was a sincere individual and in wanting to build God a, a house of cedar, wanting to build God a temple. David was sincere in that. He wanted to glorify God in that. He was going to worship God by building God this temple And God had never said, don't build me a temple. But God had never said, I want you to build me a temple. And so he said, you're not building me a temple. David was acting without God's authority. Not because God had said, don't build me a temple. But God had never said, I want you to build me a temple. And you know, you have to admire David in in some respects, because when he came to this notion he wanted to build God a temple, uh, he went and talked to Nathan the prophet about it and said, hey, here's what I want to do. I think it's a good thing. What do you think? And Nathan apparently thought it was a good idea, too. And he was on the way out from leaving the king when God gave him this message and sent him back and basically said, when did I ask for that? Yeah. You know, and, and I'm it, afraid. Well, I know, I'm, I'm, God, on the day of judgment, uh, I think, will ask people, when did I ever ask you to worship me with instrumental music? When did I ask you to worship me with instrumental music? Yeah. Where's your authority? To worship me with instrumental music. And you're not going to be able to go to the Bible for that authority. You're going to have to use some of these other flimsy arguments that we've seen uh, from social media in defense of it. God has specified what he wanted. Now, in the Old Testament, the argument is made. I think that's the uh, perhaps the next one we want to get to here. Uh, yeah, they used instruments in the Old Testament. They did, in fact, use instruments in the Old Testament. We can see numerous instru- uh, places where they did. But you know what? God had given instruction at some point along the line where the children of Israel knew that they needed to be worshiping with their instruments. He's made no such instruction for us today. We can't find an instruction or an example of people using instruments that were authorized by God. And so we have to go with the conclusion that it's not authorized today. And and the fact of the matter is that the Old Testament is not our authority today. Those things have been done away with. As we reference in Hebrews chapter 7, they had to be done away with in order for Christ to become our priest, in order for us to be worshiping God the way that we worship him today. That Old Testament had to be taken out of the way, and so we can't go to the Old Testament for our authority. That's right. You know, if we're going to justify something, say, well, they did it in the Old Testament, well, um, the New Testament tells if we're going to take part of the law, we've got to take all the law. So that's going to include all these annual animal sacrifices that they had to do keeping all these feasts that they had to keep. One of the requirements of the law was they had to go to Jerusalem three times a year. Uh, one of those feasts was Passover. There was Feast of Pentecost. And uh, there's another that I can't think of right off the top of my head. But they had to go to Jerusalem, make that pilgrimage three times a year. Do we want to include all of that? And people, oh, no, it don't mean that. So if it, it's either all or nothing. And the New Testament tells us as far as the law of Moses goes for Christian worship, it's nothing. Okay. All right. Now, the next argument you use instruments in your home. Well, we do use instruments in our home. We were talking uh, before the program. Uh, my wife has a little keyboard there, and she can play some songs on it, uh, some songs for the kids maybe. Mary had a little lamb and so forth. But we're not using that piano to worship God. Mm-mm. And well, I would argue that we should not use instruments to worship God even in our homes in, or in private. Now, t- along those lines, Ryan uh, sent in a comment. Ryan's in the chat room tonight. Ryan says, there is nothing wrong with using instrumental music to praise and give glory to God. Such music is beautiful, 
an integral part of human experience, and if we are gifted with the talent to create it, we should direct our skill to honor him. However, when God spoke of music in the assembly, he spoke only of vocal song, leaving no room for instruments. I believe that our a cappella singing plays a key role in God's intended purpose for the congregation to build up and encourage one another, in that by singing without accompaniment, we may focus on the love and commitment in our brother's voices rather than the notes being plucked on a string. Appreciate you taking time to send in that email, Ryan. But I would differ with Ryan's conclusion, because he is correct that when God spoke of music in the assembly, he spoke only of vocal song, leaving no room for instruments. I agree with that 100%. But I would say the same is true for our individual and private worship of God, that God spoke only a vocal song, leaving no room for instruments. I'd take you to Hebrew, to James chapter 5, James chapter 5 again, verse 13. Now remember, when God specifies, then that necessitates that we do only what he has specified, that we can't add to or take away from what God has specified. When he specifies something, we're not at liberty to add or change. Now if I go to James chapter 5, verse 13, There's some instructions given there to individuals. Notice verse 13 of James chapter 5. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. That's an individual. Monty, if there's something bothering you, the instruction is to pray. He goes on. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Individual worship there. Mm -hmm. And the instruction is to sing psalms. I don't see, again, I, I, I can make the same arguments for our individual worship that I can make for our collective and corporate worship. God said to sing there individually, and unless I can find an example or a command or some inference that would say it's okay for Christians individually to worship with instruments, then I have to make the same arguments I make for our corporate worship in that it is simply unauthorized, and to do anything else is to add to what God has said. Well, when we look at uh, the understanding of ways that we understand authority as established in the New Testament, one of those examples, one of those things are approved examples. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, Paul and Silas, they were in prison, and it says uh, they prayed and they sang praises to God. This was not, a, a, as we would say, an assembly of the church there. It was two individuals that were doing this, but they were singing praises to God, and that we could say a miraculous approval of that to some extent because a miracle, a miracle only shortly after that freed them from this prison that they were in. So we have an approved apostolic example of something other than the, the church coming together as far as worship and singing praise to God, and it was singing and not accompanied by music, instrumental music. All right, again... We have to go on what what God has said and what we have authority for, not that we wouldn't like to use instruments in worship. If it was authorized, we'd be all for it. But we simply don't have authority for it. We have to stand where the scriptures stand on that issue. We're not at liberty to add or change. We go back again to Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 7. David was to be instructed by God, when did I ever say that I wanted you to build me a house of cedar. When did I ever say I wanted you to build me a temple? Because God had not said not to did not mean it was okay. David didn't have authority to God because it hadn't been commanded, and it simply has not been commanded today. Now somebody say, I like it. Well, I I like it. it. It does a lot for me to have that instrument in worship, whether it be private or in corporate worship. Again, it's not about what you like and what makes sense to you. It's about what God has said, and we've got to stand on that. And really, that's all we can stand on is what did God say? Because worship's not about me. We're not yeah. worshiping me yeah. and what I like. Yeah. We're worshiping God, and God said sing. Yeah. All right, uh, Dan, during the break, and I forgot to get to you when we came back, quickly you said you wanted to address that argument that it uh, it's good for our young people. Yeah, that, that's just something that kind of bothers me when I hear people say, you know, well, well, we need to appeal to our younger folks. Well, you know what? There's a lot of drug addicts in this world, and they like drugs a lot. So much the point they're destroying their lives. Does that mean that we should start passing out cocaine in church services to appeal to them? Well, that's some hyperbole, but it uh, does show that we're not just authorized to do anything that we want. Just because it may appeal to young people, they might come to be a part of it. All right, Monty? You know, really this appealing thing has to do with our attitude. And if our attitude is that we, we want to do something different than what God says, then we've got a bad attitude and we need to fix that. 
There's only two things in our life that we can truly control, and that's our actions and our attitude. And we need to take care that our attitude is conformed to what God says. All right. We are out of time. We've had a good discussion tonight. I appreciate everyone for listening. And we do want to encourage you, if you disagree with us, if you have comments, uh, let us know your thoughts anytime. Whenever you may be listening to this program, we'd like to hear from you questions at collegeu.com. And if you're engaged in instrumental music and you in worship to God and you can't find the authority for it in the scriptures, we would beg you to stop. You're doing it without authority. You, you need can't, to repent. You can't. Well, you can't do it by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse uh, 17. And um, Romans chapter 14 tells us what whatsoever is without faith is sin. So you can't have faith unless you can read about it in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 14, verse 23 or whatever is not from faith is sin. So if I can't read about it in the New Testament, I can't have faith in it. And if I do something without faith, it's sin. And so that tells me if I do something without authority from the New Testament, if I can't read that God wants me to do it in the New Testament, I can't do it by faith, and that by definition is sin. And we'd encourage you if you're worshiping God with instrumental music that you need to stop because you can't find it mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. And sin separates us from God. So this thing that we think we're doing or that they think they're doing to bring them closer to God is actually pushing them further away. So they need to repent of that and conform their worship to New Testament patterns. All right. If you disagree with that, again, we would encourage you to contact us anytime. Questions at collegeu.com. Maybe you agree with us and you're looking for a place where we try to worship God like he's instructed. We'd encourage you to come and worship with us at the College of Church of Christ. Find out more about us, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Monty, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Jacob. Dan and Kyle, thank you for being here. Appreciate uh, your efforts tonight. Thank you, Jacob. And, Glad to be here. And uh, we appreciate you for being on the other end of the line. Hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.